right. Good morning. It's good to see you, and it's good to be back with you today. It's been a while, and I've uh, been looking forward to, uh, to this time together. Sort of an in-between Sunday, not really Thanksgiving Sunday. That was more or less last Sunday, and that had been... The season of getting ready for Christmas doesn't begin until next week, so this is sort of an in-between Sunday, and I was uh, deciding which way to go with this, what to talk about on this day, on this Sunday, and uh, so I've landed on Psalm 118. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. Most of the psalms are psalms of thanksgiving. Many of them are prayers, cries of desperation, but so many are are psalms of praise and thanksgiving, and I know we've been talking about thanksgiving here at Noonan First in this service, and in the traditional services for several weeks now, and we've still not worn out the topic. We've not exhausted it, and uh, that's a good thing. I don't think you can ever say too much about the Thanksgiving. We're going to say a little more about that, but we're going to think about it in some other terms too. But Psalm 118, I want to read verses 1 through 4, and then pick up with verse 14. Psalm 118, now beginning with verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. And then with verse 14 and following, The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanksgiving Sunday, really last Sunday, but we're going to treat this Sunday as if it were another Thanksgiving Sunday. And our hearts are inclined, I hope, toward gratitude. In fact, I hope that's the case every Sunday, every time we gather to worship. If gratitude's not a part of what we're doing and why we're here, then we probably need to back up and take a look at why we're here and what we're doing. I hope and pray that it's been a good week for you this past week, that You've had some time with family and friends and hopefully maybe some time away from work. Time to change up the routine a little bit and, uh, and give thanks and enjoy your, your time with family. Enjoy your time around the table and around uh, 
the television perhaps, though I didn't enjoy that as much as some folks did. But let me tell you how we look at it, how this Georgia Tech fan looks at it. Last year we lost by 31. This year we lost by 24. We call that progress. And uh, if that continues another four or five years, y'all better be careful because we're, we're, we're coming for you. But uh, it, has been a, it has been a good week. We had a lot of folk in our house. We had some family from Florida that stayed four nights. And then we, on Thursday, we had 21 people, I think. People were coming and going so much. I think that's about what we had with 21. But um, we had a fun day. We had a great day. And I hope you all had a, had a good time as well. The scripture lesson for today begins and ends with a clear call to give thanks. For all of us to give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This particular psalm is sandwiched between, and you can check it out on your own. I would encourage you to, between the shortest psalm in scripture and the longest. Psalm 117 is the shortest. Psalm 119 is the longest. It's several pages in some translations or versions of the scripture. If somebody ever tells you you've got to memorize Psalm 119, just go on and give up or turn away or walk away. It's just a, it's a long, long psalm. But 118 is, is kind of squeezed in between those, and it's become a very important psalm. It always has been in Jewish worship and then later in, in Christian worship. Verse 1 and verse 29 kind of form the basis. These are the, the bookends or maybe the parentheses of this psalm. Give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His love endures forever. So many things are temporary. We use the word permanent in our culture and in our language every day like things in this world really are permanent. But it's God's love that endures forever. That's the reminder here. Verse 22 is used a lot during the Lenten Easter season. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The original hearers of this psalm probably would have been thinking about King David, but it's hard for us as Christian folks to hear that expression, the chief cornerstone, without thinking of Jesus the Christ. All of our faith rests on him. All of our hope rests in him. He is the cornerstone. Everything else builds on that. It holds it all together. He is the cornerstone, and that's an, an important thing for Christian folk to hear in this psalm. And then verse 24 has probably become one of the most often repeated verses in Scripture. And it seems like I haven't heard it as much recently, but you hear it all the time. And it forms the basis of one of the praise courses that Christians have been singing now for 25, 30 years or longer. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I remember there are passages of Scripture. There are verses that, that I can remember and then call up in my memory. And if I hear them, I know where they are in the Bible. Uh, but there are a lot of them I don't. But I remember sitting with a group of guys. We were out in front. It was in Jonesboro, Panera Bread Company. We were getting ready to go to a movie. And uh, some guy just walked up. I don't know if he's a street evangelist or who he was or what he was. He said, can anybody here tell me what Psalm 118 verse 24 says? I thought, I got it. I got it. <laughs> he could have asked a whole lot of other chapters and verses, and I would have had to sit there clueless. But this is the day that the Lord has made. 
let us rejoice and be glad in it. And he was surprised or puzzled. I don't think he was amazed. He shouldn't have been. But uh, <laughs> verses 26 and 27, we hear on Palm Sunday. Think about Palm Sunday, the, the parade, the procession, Jesus entering into Jerusalem on that Sunday afternoon. Some folks said it was a parade and some said it was a protest march and some said it was a funeral procession and I think maybe it was all three. But Jesus entered into Jerusalem from Psalm 20, the Psalm we read just a minute ago, Psalm 118 verses 26 and 27. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. And so we hear that psalm as Christian folks, and we think about Palm Sunday, and we think about the branches that would have included myrtle and willow and palm and maybe some others. In his paraphrase of Scripture, and I want to call it a contemporary paraphrase, but when I stop to realize it's been out a while now, maybe 30 years or so, I don't remember the exact year, Eugene Peterson, and he died recently. And what a, what a scholar he was, and the way he made the faith come alive for so many people and written some tremendous books. But I think what he'll be remembered for mostly is his paraphrase, translation of the New Testament called The Message. It's one that I still use from time to time in devotional reading, still preach about. But I love the way that he translated this passage. The opening and closing verses of Psalm 118, this is his paraphrase and it's, it's so very direct and it, it's easy for me to remember God's love never quits his steadfast love endures forever his love never quits and he makes such a profound thought in such a simple way that it's something we want to hang on to God's love never quits that's something you can take with you from here and, and hang on to most of you already know that but sometimes we forget it and let's be honest with ourselves or let me be honest with me and you be honest with you there are times in our lives when maybe we have considered quitting on God but there's never been a time when God's love has quit on us never ever there have been times though when we think we're going to walk away from this not that we could blame God if God did quit on us have you ever looked closely at us sometimes and the way we go about things in this world, the way we turn on one another and the hurtful and destructive ways that we get involved with? If God quit on us, then what would be our defense? Bottom line, though, to borrow the line from the movie and change it around just a little bit, it ain't quitting time till God says it's quitting time. And God's love never, never quits. When things are going well, it's easy to believe, isn't it, that God's love never quits. I mean, if we think about it at all, because often when, when life is flowing along and all the puzzle pieces are fitting into place and things seem cool, we don't think much about the love of God or we don't as much. When the children are snug in their beds and they're healthy and they're safe and they're secure, and they have everything they need and the door is locked at night and you've got that good feeling that, for another day now things are okay when things are going well at work and when job security is not really an issue you feel like I'll, it'll be there for me tomorrow it'll be there the next day 
when things are going well in our relationships with the most significant people in our lives. And all those pieces are fitting together. We find it easier to believe God's love never quits. But what about when things are not going so well? What about when things that are happening in the world around us trouble us or we're not sure how we need to feel about that or what our position as Christians ought to be on that particular issue or when it comes home and gets closer to us? When things are not going so well, can we still hang on to that essential core belief that the psalmist was so certain about God's love never quits? When we're not sure where the children are, and when they're a little older, and their health and their safety and their security, we're not certain about that, and maybe it's choices they've made, maybe it's relationships they've entered into that have sent them down the wrong path, their associations, their behaviors of choice. When things are not going well at work, and the possible, maybe probable pink slip might be slipped under our door. And it might cause us to slip economically and otherwise. And when we slip, things break. And we end up broke. When our primary relationships are shaky and something seems to have eroded them and we find ourselves adrift and, and, and cut off. One of my favorite folk singers across the years has been Gordon Lightfoot, a, a Canadian folk singer. Mickey and I went to see him a couple of years ago, and it just amazes me how some of these folks that I grew up listening to him sing, how old some of them have gotten. It just, uh, just incredible. But I thought, wow, if this guy can remember, and he still could, all the lyrics to that and Fitzgerald, then his mind is still pretty sharp. But there's a line in that song that makes me think about what, we're, what I've been trying to talk about. Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours. And it's at those times that we wonder if God's love has quit on us. And what can we do? What should we do? When we're convinced that God's love has said it's quitting time. I'm fed up with these folks. I've had enough. I've poured out my heart. I've given my son. Quitting time. That's when and why we need each other. That's when, that's why, one of the reasons that we, we worship together in this place and, and next door and other places from time to time, we need each other. Somebody, a sister, a brother in Christ needs us to take their hand in our hands and for us to look in their eyes and to say, God's love has not quit. To look in our sad and distressed eyes or us in their eyes and say, repeat after me, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. Folk need to hear that from time to time. We need to hear that. If it wasn't quitting time, when there was a cross looming on the horizon, then when would it ever be quitting time? God's love never runs out. And because we are all beneficiaries of that great love, and we are, aren't we? Just 
try to count the ways, too many to count. Because we're beneficiaries of that love, then we need to prayerfully comprehend what that love compels us to do as far as the way we relate to one another and as far as the way we relate to folks who don't see the world like we do and come from a different perspective and live different lives. How do we love those folks? When we receive the steadfast love of God, we become beneficiaries. And then because we're beneficiaries of that love, we are obligated to take that love and to let it flow through us and to pour through us and to bless those around us and to find ways to love even the unlovable. And that doesn't mean that we've got to have warm and fuzzy feelings about everybody in this world. I think in all honesty, there's some folks I'm not sure, and I still struggle with this, there are probably some folks I don't want sitting at my kitchen table drinking a cup of coffee with me. But God calls us to love others and maybe we can love folk without really liking them. Though Frederick Bigner, who's one of my favorite writers, says that if we love folks long enough, odds are we'll end up liking them too. So you have to, have to be careful about that. Warm and fuzzy, not always, not always. To love is to say and do things that will build others up physically and emotionally and spiritually and in every way. To refrain from behaviors that would bring harm to others or cause others to question their self-worth. To love is to avoid saying things that will denigrate or destroy or diminish another's well-being. Doesn't mean that We've got warm and fuzzies. It does mean we need to watch what we say and do. Now on this Sunday after Thanksgiving, I've been reminded, and sometimes I have to ask myself, Charles, is this just you thinking and going off somewhere, or is this the Holy Spirit nudging you a little bit? I believe the Spirit's been nudging me a little bit on this one. God's love never quits. And if we receive that love, then we're compelled to love one another. And I've been thinking about a particular group of folk today. I've been thinking about folk in this world who are, are hungry. And I know we've said so much about that. We talk about that in church a lot. I know there are different kinds of hungers. There are emotional hungers. There are folks who are lonely and distraught. There are spiritual hungers. We keep trying to fill that emptiness in our lives with all kinds of things that are not filling, that are not nourishing, that are not helpful. But there's also physical hunger. And I've tried to imagine that. And I know that in this world it can be deadly. And that's beyond debate. Millions of folk. Food insufficiencies. Folks who who really can't find anything to eat and it's it's so hard what were we reading Mickey you're talking about the other day that in some places in this world at least in this country people have some places to turn it and the article says something about at least there are dumpsters and in some places not even that I think about how God awful it must be to be hungry to be really hungry and how do we deal with that how does the love of God that never quits how does that compel us to, to deal with those kind of things what are we called to do as recipients of God's love about folk in this world who are, who are hungry let me share with you a story from Fred Craddock and he's sort of an old timer he died a few years ago but 
if I had to list over the course of my life my favorite preacher, the preacher who's touched my heart the most, it'd be Fred Craddock. And he told this story about his growing up days. He grew up in West Tennessee. He said he lived near a railroad track, and he remembers a number of mornings when he would get awake and get up and get dressed and go down to the kitchen to eat breakfast. And he said, oh, so often there would be a strange-looking man sitting at the table, and he would be so ugly and scraggly and dirty just, just sitting at the table, just eating away, and I was scared of him. And when he left, I'd say, Mom, who was that? And she'd say, oh, his name was Henry, and, and he was hungry. Well, where did he come from? She said he came down the railroad tracks, and, and Frank Craddock grew up near the tracks. And he talked about hobos, that's an older term too, folks who rode the rails and who were always begging for something to eat and were often stealing if, whatever it took to find something to eat. And he said, there he was, sitting in the kitchen, just eating like he'd never have another meal. And I'd say, Mama, weren't you scared? She said, well, Sonny was hungry. Well, I was scared, he said. And she said, son, he was hungry. It's difficult for me to imagine what long-term hunger would be like. I know my problem is having too much to eat and just running through a whole lot of stop signs, and this is maybe not the best weekend to talk about our abundance of, of food. But sometimes it takes the voice of a prophet, whether it's a spiritual hunger or a physical hunger, to really, really get our attention. And sometimes the voice of the prophet comes through the voice of a child. I mean, that's pretty much in keeping with the New Testament, isn't it? I heard this story about a conference, and I'm not even sure what the topic of the whole conference was, but on this particular day they were talking about hunger. And a young girl stepped up, on the stage in front of a large audience and there was a single microphone there and she repeated the same phrase 53 times in 53 different languages and the 53rd time she spoke the phrase in English and she said mama I'm hungry involvement's one way to make a difference bridging the gap and one Roof and Salvation Army and there are ways, canathons, all those ways are important. Sometimes we have to look into our own lives and our own hearts and say, and what are we doing to help? Or what are we doing sometimes to maybe contribute to the problem? Volunteering is one way. Uh, all kinds of life-giving ways to get involved. And oftentimes, when you get involved with folks who are physically hungry, they'll open up and they'll talk to you. And you can get to the deeper hungers in their hearts, the hungers we all have to belong and to be loved and to know that we have some value and meaning in the eyes of our God. On this Thanksgiving Sunday or Sunday after Thanksgiving or Sunday before Advent or, or however you want to couch it or, or phrase it, I want to give thanks for a moment now for all of you. I know a lot of Sundays I'm, I'm in the other building. I, I really do appreciate the times I can be over here. But I want to give thanks for all of you. And since I've been in Noonan, since Mickey and I have been here, the way you've encouraged us and supported us and, and welcomed us and made us feel a part of this wonderful community and this great church. So delighted to be here. And we're grateful to you. You all have been so over the top 
friendly and welcoming. And Sunday after Sunday, I get that opportunity to, to worship and to share my heart and to have opportunities to hear you when you share your hearts with me as well. I take that seriously, and I want to hear you, and I want to, want to help when I can. You certainly have been a help to me. And your caring concern in this church for folks who are hurting and who are broken, and I know it happens here and it happens next door, and it happens away from this wonderful campus, your way to care for and lift up and encourage one another because you've been loved by God. And you know in your heart you're certain that that love of God never quits. And because that love never quits, then we are compelled and we are sent forth and we are empowered to love each other and to love other folk. On this Sunday, I want to say when it comes to the love of God, it's an always thing. Love Eugene Peterson's phrase, God's love never quits. Love never runs out. It endures. It, it never gives up. And when it comes to praising God, because God's great love for us, when it comes to giving thanks for God's great love, there are no stop signs. I thought about during the too much football that I've been watching the last few days about a penalty they call sometimes called, uh, well, it's unsportsmanlike conduct, but it's called excessive celebration. <laughs> I wonder how long it's been since the church service has been flagged or penalized for excessive celebration. God is so good, and we keep it all in so often. So on this Sunday, on every Sunday, but on this Sunday in particular, let me say one more time, when it comes to the love of God, there's no such thing as quitting time. Amen.